Come before Yahweh with me. Father Yahweh, we thank you so much for this beautiful day. We thank you for the fellowship we have here. It's a small flock, Father, but we are thankful for it. And we thank you for the Passover we had last evening, the humbling experience. It was a, a somber occasion, but it's cause for celebration, Father. And we intend to do just that in this coming week, with the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And uh, we pray that you be with us here through the rest of this Sabbath as we uh, focus on you, focus on your people, focus on your prophets, focus on the message that you give to them. And Father, I pray that you just be with me as I deliver your words, that they be edifying to the body, and that they give glory and honor to you. I thank you for all you do for us in Yahshua's name. Hallelujah. So I'm finally getting around to Jonah. <laughs> I said like two years ago, I was going, I'm going to, I'm going to do the minor prophets. I'm going to get in there and I'm just going to knock them out of the park. And two years later, I've still got like four left. <laughs> it's harder than you think. Um, Jonah's an interesting story. There's a, lot, there's a lot there. It's not a very long book, but then again, most of the minor prophets aren't terribly long. But Jonah, I feel, is one that everybody knows about. You know, if I say, hey, what do you think about Obadiah? People, they have no idea. But Jonah, everybody typically knows what you're talking about. Even people who aren't really learned in Scripture just know, have a passing understanding of the word. They know who Jonah is. They know the story of Jonah. And it does make it unique in that regard. You ever woke up in the morning and laid in bed thinking, I have absolutely no desire to get out of bed. I could lay here all day. I'm not going to lie, I think I thought that this morning. <laughs> I think I thought that this morning. And then Yahweh puts something on your heart that you know you have to do. And he pulls on your spirit and he says, all right, it's time to get up and go do X, Y, Z, whatever that may be. And you're like, eh, do I have to? I mean, do I have to? And, you know, it could be something like, I don't know, going to your job so you can make money to keep the lights on in your house. And you're still just like, eh, is living in the dark so bad, you know? <laughs> or have you ever been so wrapped up in your own world that when that calling does come, you pretend you don't hear it? And go back to your day-to-day -day life. We don't really know what Jonah's story was when he first woke up. We don't know what his story was leading up to this point to Yahweh calling him. We don't know what was on his plate. We don't know anything about him, really. But I do know he seemed to be deathly afraid of doing what Yahweh asked him. Jonah's story is an important one. Not only of acceptance of Yahweh's will, but as a type and shadow pointing to Yeshua's death and resurrection. It's a short story, and it tells the story of a man who thought he knew best and is ultimately humbled in Yahweh's sight. And he is hardly a willing subject in this story all the way through. In chapter 1, we do not waste any time, immediately. It's, it's kind of funny, actually. If you read through Jonah, it's just like immediately. He, it's like right away, 
he flakes. Now the word of Yahweh came to Jonah, son of Amittai, Amittai, butchering it, I'm sorry, saying, Arise and go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah arose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of Yahweh. He went down to Joppa, found the ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and he went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of Yahweh. So <laughs> Jonah didn't even say anything. He just booked. He just took off. And I find that so crazy. I mean, usually there's at least like a little back and forth between Yahweh's person he's working with and Yahweh, not Jonah. Imagine asking somebody to do something and they just turned around and walked out the door. It's, it's amazing. So Yahweh says to Jonah, here's what I want to do. Jonah doesn't even respond. No questions, no complaints. He just took off thinking he could just run away. Again, we don't know what was on Jonah's plate up to this point. I don't know why he thought he could do this, but he did it. And verses 4 through 9, But Yahweh sent out a great wind on the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship was about to be broken up. And the mariners were afraid, and every man cried out to his Elohim, and threw, threw the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten the load. But Jonah had gone down to the lowest parts of the ship, and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came to him and said to him, What do you mean, sleeper? Arise, call on your Elohim. Perhaps your Elohim will consider us, so that we may not perish. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots, that we may know for whose cause this trouble has come upon us. And they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. And then they said to him, Please tell us, for whose cause is this trouble upon us? What is your occupation? And where do you come from? What is your country? And what, uh, for what, pe- what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear Yahweh, the Elohim of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. And then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, Why have you done this? For the men knew that he fled from the presence of Yahweh, because he had told them. And he said to them, What shall we do to you? that the sea may be calm for us. For the sea was growing more tempestuous. And he said to them, Pick me up and throw me into the sea. Then the sea will be calm for you. For I know that this great tempest is because of me. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to return to land, but they could not, for the sea continued to grow more tempestuous against them. Therefore they cried out to Yahweh and said, We pray, O Yahweh, please do not let us perish for this man's life, and do not charge us with innocent blood. For you, O Yahweh, have done it done as it pleases you. So they picked up Jonah and threw him into the sea, and the sea, sea had ceased from its raging. And the men feared Yahweh exceedingly and offered a sacrifice to Yahweh and took vows. So right away, in chapter 1, Jonah runs from Yahweh, gets caught, is thrown into the sea, and then the very next verse, he's swallowed by this great fish. All while making converts of the men on the boat. <laughs> I mean, this is an event-filled, like, first, like, six verses. It's incredible. He made converts to the men on the boat. 
Do you think Jonah knew any of this would happen when he took off? Think about it from the men on the boat's perspective. Had he not took off, they never probably would have ever known Yahweh. But they found him then, and they made sacrifices, and they made vows to Yahweh. I like to think that they, hey, this is the real Elohim. Like, this is it. And I like to think that they probably continued to serve him. So even when we run from Yahweh, even when we're scared, frustrated, and angry, his will gets done. If you fight it, his will gets done. If you go along with it, his will gets done. It'll happen with or without you. Luke 19, verse 40 says, But he answered and said to them, I tell you that should these keep silent, the stones would immediately cry out. Jonah got this lesson firsthand. Yahweh's will will be accomplished. Once he sets out to do it, he will receive glory and he, his kingdom will grow, period. By letting Jonah run away and think he got away, Yahweh was able to change the hearts of those men on the boat with him. And Jonah never got away. Even in his rebellion, Yahweh was glorified. So, moving on. We've still got a lot to cover. I mean, you could probably make an entire sermon out of this part right here. But, i got to get to the rest of the book. So Jonah gets swallowed by the great fish for three days and three nights in verse 17. In chapter 2, Jonah has time to think about his situation. I mean, he might as well. He's, he's not going anywhere. He's in the belly of this fish for three days and three nights. And his musings are recorded. Like, everything that he had said was recorded. And Jonah prayed to Yahweh his Elohim from the belly of the fish. And he said, I cried out to Yahweh because of my affliction. And he answered me, Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the floods surrounded me. All your billows and your waves passed over me. Then I said, I have been cast out of your sight, yet I will look again towards your holy temple. The waters surround me, even unto my soul. The deep closed around me. The weeds were wrapped around my head. I went down to the moorings of the mountains. The earth with its bars closed behind me forever. Yet you have brought my life up from the pit. O Yahweh, my Elohim, when my soul fainted within me, I remembered Yahweh, and my prayer went up to you, and to your holy temple. Those who regard worthless idols forsake their own mercy. But I will sacrifice to you with a voice of thanksgiving, and I will pay what I have vowed. Salvation is of Yahweh. So Yahweh spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. So it's amazing how, obviously, something as intense as what Jonah's going through can make you a little bit reflective, you know? Jonah's realizing how foolish he had been. And how often does this happen to you and I? I mean, we're not getting swallowed by a fish, hallelujah. But we're trapped. Jonah was entirely at Yahweh's mercy. He always had been, but now he realized it. There was nowhere for him to run. There was no boat he could take down to Tarshish to kind of just blend in with the crowd. This was it. 
Everything about him was at Yahweh's beck and call. And how often are we how often are we to blame for the very situation we're in? Again, had he not run away, had he just done what he was told, he never would have had to go through this. How often do we find ourselves trapped by our own rebellion with the weeds wrapped around our head? You ever been in a situation where you feel like you can't breathe? You know, there's all kinds of things going on in your life. And I don't mean like claustrophobia, although that's not good either. But I mean like your situation you're in. You owe money. You have bills. You have children. You have family. You have all this stuff. You feel like you're trapped. The weeds are wrapped around your head. You have been swallowed by a proverbial fish. When you're totally overwhelmed by what you're going through, have you ever thought this is it? There is no way I can get out of this. Tragedy like this has a profound ability to make you ultra-reflective. And it's easy to give yourself over to the Father when you're at the end of the rope. When things are so bad that we can't see a way forward, it's easy to say something like, with a voice of thanksgiving, I will pay what I have vowed. Salvation is of Yahweh. When you're on your deathbed, (laughs) getting close to Yahweh is easy. That's the easy part. I'm not saying death is easy, but that's the easy part. How many times have you heard somebody accepted Messiah on their deathbed? Well, of course they did. (laughs) Of course they did. That's the easy part. Promising to change your life when you think it's over is simple. I mean, oh, Yahweh, I'm not going to do that anymore. And then you flatline. That's an easy promise to keep. We see it time and time again. A man lives a wild and wicked life, and on his deathbed, he apologizes and prays for mercy. And I'm not here to tell you that mercy is not there. It could very well be found. We have the thief that was right there next to the Messiah. And all he did was just acknowledge him, and that was enough. And maybe that will be. I pray that's the case for, for those who are in that situation. But I am here to tell you to live a righteous life while you still have a life to live. We have to be willing to adhere to the Father's will while we still have an opportunity to do so. And I understand situations like Jonah are useful for revelation, like what Jonah had. But if we want to be better people for our Father in heaven, we can't wait for that great fish to swallow us. The time for obedience and righteousness is now. It's not after you get drugged down to the bottom of the ocean. That's the last place you want to be. Yahweh doesn't want our sacrifices. He doesn't want our apologies. He wants our hearts, and he wants obedience. 1 Samuel 15.22 Samuel said, "Has Has Yahweh as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of Yahweh? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed is than the fat of rams. We have to understand the reason Yahweh desires obedience to sacrifice is because if we are all simply obedient, then there would be no need for sacrifice. Think about it. Would you rather your kid, let's say those of you who have children, and those of you who don't, imagine it's just a friend or a roommate or something, 
Would you rather them knock a hole in the wall and do extra chores for a month as punishment, or would you rather them just not knock a hole in the wall? There's no need for extra chores if they just didn't do the thing that caused them to be punished. I think the answer is pretty obvious. It's better to obey the voice of Yahweh when he calls you in the morning, when he tells you to get up and go do it. It's better to just get up and go do it than it is to try to justify your way out of it or give him an excuse or run away. Or in Jonah's case, just don't say anything and just take off. It's better to just buckle down and do what he says. It will be easier for you in the long run, even if you're looking at it thinking this is an insurmountable task. If Yahweh tells you to do it, he wouldn't have done that. He didn't make a mistake. After Jonah was put into a seemingly hopeless situation, he has a change of heart and promises to pay what he vowed. Sure enough, chapter 3, Jonah goes to Nineveh, And cries out. Then the word of Yahweh came to Jonah the second time. Get up and go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message that I give you. This time Jonah got up and went to Nineveh in accordance with the word of Yahweh. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city requiring a three-day journey. But on the first day of his journey, Jonah set out to the city and proclaimed, Forty more days, and Nineveh will be overturned. Now, the biggest change here is Yahweh said, get up and go, and he got up and he went. And amazingly, this is what's amazing about this entire situation. It's not that there was somebody that was scared of what Yahweh wanted them to do, and they rebelled. That is the most common theme throughout all of Scripture. What's amazing is that the people actually listened. That's what's amazing. The entire city heard what was being said, and they believed it. The entire town said, okay, what, what do we do? And they proclaimed a fast, and they put on sackcloth and ashes from least to the greatest. In verse 5, it says, So the people of Nineveh believed Elohim, and they proclaimed a fast, and they put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least of them. Then the word came to the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne and laid aside his robe, covering himself with sackcloth and sat in ashes. And he caused it to be proclaimed and published throughout Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles, saying, Let neither man nor beast nor herd nor flock taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and cry mightily to Elohim. Yes, Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who can tell if Elohim will turn and relent and turn away from his turn from their evil way? And Elohim relented from the disaster that he had said he would bring upon them, and he did not do it. What would we do if we saw this happen? A wicked city that was so bad that Yahweh sent a prophet to warn them of the destruction... And the entire city, from least to greatest, repented and turned around. Even the nobles and kings set out a decree demanding people to fast, and even their livestock fasted. And they put sackcloth on the beasts. I mean, this was an incomplete turnaround. I don't think there's another story like this in the scriptures. What if we had something like this happen here in the United States? 
If I turned on the news <laughs> and I saw some of these people in Congress sitting around in sackcloth, crying out to Yahweh, <laughs> demanding legislation be passed to enforce a repentant fast, I think I'd just check out. That'd be it. It can't, it, it can't get any better than this. Another lesson we have is after we promise Yahweh something, we should always stick to it. Just as Jonah promised, we should keep our vows. And again, we're already in chapter 4. I've read pretty much the entire book of Jonah up to this point. So there's not a whole lot of information here. But there is if you dig deep. In chapter 4, Jonah flips out and is frustrated with Yahweh. (laughs) Didn't learn his lesson the first time, I guess. Why is he frustrated? Because Yahweh ended up not destroying the city. Jonah 4, 1 through 5. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he became angry. So he prayed to Yahweh and said, Ah, Yahweh, was not this what I said when I was still in my country? Therefore I fled previously to Tarshish, for I know that you are a gracious and merciful Elohim, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, one who relents from doing harm. Now therefore, O Yahweh, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. Then Yahweh said, Is it right for you to be angry? So Jonah went out of the city and sat at the east side of the city, and there he made himself a shelter and sat under it under the shade till he might see what would become of the city. And Yahweh Elohim prepared a plant and made it to come up over Jonah, that it might provide shade for his head to comfort, to deliver him from his misery. So Jonah was very grateful for the plant. But as morning dawned and the next day, Elohim prepared a worm, and it so damaged the plant that it withered. And it happened when the sun rose that Elohim prepared a vehement east wind, and the sun beat on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. Then he wished for death on himself, And said, it is better for me to die than to live. Then Elohim said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? And he said, is it right for me to be angry? Even It is right for me to be angry, even to death. And Yahweh said, you have had pity on the plant for which you have not labored, nor made it grow, which came up in a night and perished in a night. And should I not have pity on Nineveh, that great city, which are more than 120,000 persons who cannot discern between their right and their left? And much livestock. Jonah is one of those guys. So, you know, you think about like Exodus. You see the Hebrews leaving Egypt. They got all this crazy, amazing stuff happening right in front of them. And then they turn around and make a golden calf and get swallowed up by the earth. And you're thinking, how did you let this happen? It was right in front of you. This is just another case in a long line of cases. But Jonah gets a reality check. And it's one that, honestly, I find myself, I need too. And I hope you get the same thing from this chapter as I did. Jonah is bent out of shape. Because Yahweh threatened judgment on Nineveh, the city and its people. However, they believed and repented of their sin. And Yahweh saw this turn around and relented from his punishment on on them. This is evidently, it angered Jonah. Because he figured, if you were going to simply forgive them, then why did I need to do all this? This this is what I said when I was back in my country. Why did I need to go through all the things I did? Why the fish? Why all this stuff? I went through all of this, and you're just going to forgive them? 
Go back and I'm going to read a part of this again. So he prayed and said, Ah, Yahweh, was this not what I said when I was still in my country? Therefore I fled, previously fled to Tarshish. For I know that you are gracious, gracious and merciful Elohim, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, one who relents from doing harm. Therefore now, O Yahweh, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. I couldn't, I mean, again, we don't know a whole lot about Jonah. We didn't ever read the conversation where he conversed with Yahweh saying, this is what I said when I was in my country. We don't have that recorded here. But Jonah didn't see the point. Obviously, Yahweh did, and he helped to teach the lesson. Yahweh planted that plant that grew up next to Jonah while he rested in the shade, and it comforted him with cool shade. Then Yahweh caused a worm to grow in the plant, destroying it. And the sun came up, and the east wind blew, and Jonah was beaten down by the heat of the sun so much that he nearly fainted. And again, he wished death on himself. Yahweh questions why he's so upset about a plant that he did nothing for, that sprouted in one night and died in one night. But he's angry about Yahweh sparing an entire city of 120,000 people who cannot discern their right hand from the left. Jonah was short-sighted. He was selfish. But he was effective. I don't know how he said it. But when he, I mean, it doesn't say he fought. doesn't say he contended. said he went in and he spoke and the entire city just turned around. So obviously Jonah had something going for him. Yahweh blessed him with the ability to witness to these people truth that it, it had to be effective. The way he said it must have been extremely convincing. He was humbled when Yahweh caused the fish to swallow him up for three days and three nights. And he was bound by his word and went to Nineveh and warned them of the coming destruction. And his message was not only heard but repeated by kings and nobles who received it. And after all that, he was angry. And we really don't get much more than that. After Yahweh reminds them that the souls of men are worth more than our comforts or mere pleasantries that we're accustomed to. And I have to admit, I've been Jonah in this situation. Not swallowed by a fish necessarily, but because I see something happening. And I want justice for that thing happening. And my idea of justice is for Yahweh to burn the whole thing down. Let's do it. Get rid of it. Wipe it all out. That's, I mean, I, my flesh says that. And I know I'm not alone in that. I look at these people running the world, and they're so blatant in their disregard for the Father and his word. It's not even, they don't even acknowledge there is a word. I mean, it's, they are completely absorbed by their own selfishness, their own world. They are their own Elohim. They mock the innocent. They hurt the unborn. They do these horrible, horrible things. And I've been Jonah. I've been angry and frustrated that Yahweh doesn't just wipe them out. But then again, I'm glad. I'm, I'm glad. I'm thankful. Because if it were up to me, there would be very little mercy. And even less long-suffering. Just a flawed, angry man. <laughs> you know what I mean? And the world and the people, the wicked people who inhabit it. But it's their salvation. Their soul, is, is, is that not worth more than my frustration and my anger? We don't really get an idea of what was happening in Nineveh. 
it's not really, we don't really know. At least not in Jonah's side of the story. But it was enough that their beasts had to put on sackcloth. So I don't know what was happening, but it was obviously bad enough that it warranted that. Is their salvation not worth more than the wrath that we want poured out on them? Shouldn't we work tirelessly for Yahweh? Sometimes the biggest hurdle we face is not getting people to repent or follow the word. Sometimes it's our own pride and hubris that get in the way of accepting that repentance, just like Jonah. Ezekiel chapter 18 is one of my favorite chapters in the entire, entire scripture. And we're going to read from Ezekiel chapter 18, from verse 19 through the end of the chapter. And it's a beautiful passage, and it speaks to Yahweh's heart and to the rage we feel when we do not get what we feel we are owed, the justice we feel we are owed. Ezekiel chapter 18, verse 19 through 32. Yet you say, why should the son not bear the guilt of the father? Because the son has done what is lawful and right, and has kept all my statutes and observed them. He shall surely live. The soul who sins shall die. The son shall not bear the guilt of the father, nor the father bear the guilt of the son. The righteousness of the righteous shall be upon himself, and the wickedness of the wicked shall be upon himself. But, this is where it gets tough. If a wicked man turns from all his sins which he has committed and keeps all my statutes and does what is lawful and right, he shall surely live and not die. None of the transgressions which he has committed shall be remembered against him. Because of the righteousness which he has done, he shall live. Do I have any pleasure at all that the wicked should die, saith Yahweh Elohim, and not that he should turn from his ways and live? But when a righteous man turns from his righteousness and commits iniquity and does it according to all the abominations that the wicked man does, shall he live. All the righteousness which he has done shall not be remembered because of the unfaithfulness which, of which he is guilty and the sin which he has committed. Because of them he shall die. Yet you say, the way of Yahweh is not fair. Hear now, O house of Israel. It is, not my, is it not my way which is fair, and your ways which are not fair? When a righteous man turns away from his righteousness and commits iniquity and dies in it, it is because of the iniquity which he has done that he dies. Again, when a wicked man turns away from the wickedness which he committed and does what is lawful and right, he preserves himself alive. Because he considers and turns away from all the transgressions which he committed, he shall surely live. And he shall not die. Yet the house of Israel says, The way of Yahweh is not fair. O house of Israel, is it not my ways which are fair, and your ways which are not fair? Therefore I will judge you, O house of Israel, every one according to his ways. Says Yahweh Elohim, Repent and turn from all your transgressions, so that the iniquity will not be your ruin. Cast away from you all the transgressions which you have committed, and get yourselves a new heart and a new spirit. For why should you die, O house of Israel? For I have no pleasure in the death of one who dies, saith Yahweh Elohim. Therefore, turn and live. This is the essence of Yahweh's heart. 
He doesn't want our sacrifices. He doesn't want our apologies. He wants our lives. Obedience and love. If Nineveh is called to repentance, we as Yahweh's people must be there with open arms, ready to teach and help them. Take a second to think about this. I want you to think of somebody in your life that you know of. You don't have to know them personally. You just have to know they exist on this planet. They are one of Yahweh's creations. I want you to think about the worst person you know. Let's think about it for a second. Someone who you've all seen abuse their power, hurt those beneath them. Imagine that person walked through those doors and sat down next to you. What would your reaction be? Bewildered? Angry? Would you be thinking the nerve of this clown to come in here? I don't think it'd be a pretty picture. Now what if they fell on their knees and repented? What if they cried out for forgiveness? What if they put on sackcloth and ashes and cried out for mercy? Could you and I accept that? Think about it. Some of these people, these sleazebags that we have, that you see on TV, run, that you see on the news, they're constantly, they're just wicked people. And imagine one was kneeling right there, sackcloth and ashes, just begging for mercy. Could we sit down and break bread with those people? who live the life of such open and blatant wickedness. I mean, Yahweh's love is way, and mercy is way out of our league. It's not, I mean, it's, here Yahweh says, he doesn't, he doesn't specify what they should and should not have done. It just says if they do righteousness, they're going to live. If they turn from their wickedness, we're good. I don't know if I could do it. it that takes some time. It takes some time. We can be just as easily cut off as someone like that is grafted in. We need to remember that. And we have to produce fruit. If we come across our own citizen of Nineveh in our own lives who is wicked and has lived a life of sin, we cannot stand in their way if they desire to repent and come to the Father. That is our duty to help them. But we also have to love, care for, and rejoice with them. Now, obviously, this requires a repentant heart, and that's the first step. I don't think we have to worry about that this afternoon. Somebody stumbling in here that we all know or one of us knows is truly, truly wicked. However, the days we're living in, we have to be ready. We don't know whose heart Yahweh will, will prick. Now, our Nineveh is much larger than Jonah's, but the need for repentance is the same. Will we choose to be angry when Yahweh shows mercy to whom, to those we think deserve to be punished? Or will we embrace them as brethren? This is a challenging thought, but I feel it's one that we need to entertain. As we are reaching more and more people, and if Yahweh chooses to call one of these people from the wicked world to be grafted into Israel, who are we to stop him? In verse 31 of Ezekiel 18, I'm going to read it one more time. 
Cast away from you all the transgressions which you have committed, and get yourselves a new heart and a new spirit. For why should you die, O house of Israel? For I have no pleasure in the death of one who dies, says Yahweh Elohim. Therefore turn and live. He has no pleasure in anyone who dies. And when he, I mean, we all die a physical death, but he means a spiritual death. Someone who chooses wickedness and dies in that wickedness. That is not what he wants. He has no pleasure in it. I know a lot of people run around, they, they, they look at Yahweh like he's a bouncer to the kingdom. And he's just striking people down. They're trying to get in. That's not how it is at all. So Jonah's dealing with changing the hearts of the wicked in the world to return to the Father. And the world is one side of this. The world is, is a huge aspect of what we're, that's the Great Commission. Go out and make disciples of all these people. But another aspect is in the body. The brother or sister who does you wrong. It's much easier to draw the line between someone who's completely worldly and someone who you know as a brother or sister. It gets a little bit more nuanced when you get into that relationship. You know, somebody in the world, if somebody in the world here is wicked and they never walk through our doors and we never see them, it's not that big of an issue for us. Now, what if somebody goes the other route from Ezekiel 18 and says they turn from righteousness to wickedness? What do you do then? Again, it's more nuanced. It takes more, more tact. It takes more understanding, more love, and more, even more forgiveness, I think, than somebody you don't know coming into the world, from the world. If someone is wicked on the surface, at least you know what you're getting. But if a brother or a sister and the faith does harm to us, it's a tougher pill to swallow. But as Messiah stated in Matthew 18, 12, what do you think if a man has a hundred sheep and one of them goes astray, does he not leave the 99 and go into the mountains to seek the one that is straying? Now, we're all sheep in our own right. And Yahshua, you know, is the, is the, is the head of the assembly. The elders are the, the shepherds that are leading the flock. But if we see a brother straying or if a brother has done harm to one of his fellow sheep, we have to try to bring them back into the fold with open arms and forgiveness. Verses 13 and 14 of Matthew 18, go on to explain. And if he should find it, assuredly I say to you, he rejoices over more over that sheep than over the ninety-nine that did not go astray. Even so, it is not the will, is it, excuse me, it is not the will of your Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones would perish. Here, he's echoing what he said in Ezekiel 18. He doesn't want any of, the, of his sheep to, to fall away. He doesn't want a single one of you to fall away. Yahweh hates to see the body fractured. We should do our best to keep it bound together. So how do we do this? How do we keep things from erupting into vitriol and bitterness? Verse 15 through 17 of Matthew 18 explains, Moreover, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he hears you, you've gained a brother. But if he will not hear, take with you one or two more that by the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. And if he refuses to hear them, take it to the assembly. And if he refuses even to hear the assembly, let him be to you like a heathen and a tax collector. 
There is a proper way to do things, a proper way to resolve an issue, and it is sad that it almost never happens this way. But we have to try to follow this formula as best we can. If I have an issue with a brother, I need to go to him directly as soon as possible. That's important. I cannot give time for temptation to take root and to start gossiping about each other. If I go to my brother directly and he doesn't heed my words, I go with a few witnesses. If that doesn't work, I take it to the assembly. If that doesn't work, part ways. And it isn't friendly either. At that point, they're to be as a heathen or a tax collector. Typically, this is how it goes. Brother A has an issue with Brother B. Brother A does not approach a Brother B about this issue. Rather, Brother A simply lets this problem fester and grow into animosity. And before you know it, Brother A is harboring hatred for Brother B, and Brother B has no idea it's happening. So Brother A gets bent out of shape, just like Jonah, and explodes and causes irreparable damage to the body because Brother A refused to follow Matthew 18. If somebody offends you, it is not on the person who offended you to tell them that they offended you. It's on you to tell them. And I think this is where we fall short. Why we get it in our hearts, well, they should have known. They shouldn't. Well, they didn't. They didn't know. And if they did, they spoke out of turn. And you need to confront them about it. You have to do it as soon as you possibly can. Scripture says don't let the sun go down on your anger. Because if you let it go down on your anger, it gives it time to morph into something else. And it does. It happens all the time. And it's always nasty. And it's always ugly. Is it going to be a comfortable conversation? No. It's no. I don't ever want to have to go to one of you and say, by the way, you really, you really hurt me with this and we need to discuss this. It's good to, to try to be like a duck and let the water just bead off your back. But at sometimes somebody says something that's either wrong or is truly offensive, you may have to take this step and you may have to actually buck up and go take care of it. Because if you don't, It is a disaster waiting to happen. I promise you. If you don't take my word for anything else, take my word for this. It will be disaster. We just took the Passover last night. And we are not to do so with ought towards our brother. Elder Randy gave the message, taking the Passover unworthily. That's part of it. We have to be slow to anger, quick to forgiveness, and even quicker to resolve these issues before they explode and take parts of the body with them. Ephesians 4, verse 25 through 31. Therefore, putting away lying, let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. Let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor, working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give him who, he ha- who has need. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of Elohim, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as Elohim and Messiah has forgiven you. Now, 
it's possible that like Jonah, you just want to see justice exacted on those who are guilty. And that is a feeling we all fall into at one point or another. But also, like Yahweh explained in Ezekiel, cast away from you all the transgressions which you have committed and get yourselves a new heart and a new spirit. For why should you die, O house of Israel? For I have no pleasure in the death of one who dies, saith Yahweh. There's a part there that I want to focus on. Cast out the transgressions, get a new heart, and a new spirit. I feel like that's kind of the point of this entire season that we're in. The, past, the Passover memorial, the feast of unleavened bread. Cast out that leaven and get a new heart, get a new spirit. Because if you don't, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. And if you harbor this, any of these things here, the lying, the stealing, the, 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 just the general bad behavior that we have that is so, we're so prone to, if we do those things, that heart and that spirit is going to be leavened just like what you're trying to get rid of. Why should you die, O house of Israel? Yahweh says there's no point. What you're doing serves zero purpose. You don't like it. I certainly don't like it. Yahweh says, I take no pleasure when, you, when one of you goes off the, on the, off the narrow path. I take no pleasure in it. So why are you doing it? I want to emphasize one more time. Ezekiel 18, 21 through 23. But if a wicked man turns from his sins, which he has committed, keeps all my statutes, and does what is lawful and right, he shall surely live. He shall not die. None of the transgressions which he has committed will be remembered against him because of the righteousness which he has done. He shall live. Do I have any pleasure that all the wicked should die? Says Yahweh Elohim. And that he should turn, and not that he should turn from his ways and live. The lesson here is one of trust. Trusting Yahweh's will, trusting Yahweh's order of operation. And if you have an issue with a brother, take care of it as soon as possible. And if somebody wicked walks through those doors, it's a beautiful thing. And it should be celebrated. And we need to be ready to forgive and accept a brother and stranger alike. And there, there is an order to things. It's not a free-for-all. I don't know who the, the citizens of Nineveh are in your life. Or I don't know who's offended who. I don't know how many hatchets you guys have had to bury. But it's important that we do this. It's important that we heed the call that Yahweh gives us to work with one another, to work with the wicked. Yahshua essentially told his people to do the same thing Yahweh told Jonah to do. Go out and make disciples of all these, of, of the nations. And Jonah, I, I mean, I don't know how long they stuck with it. I really don't. But I do know that they, there had to be some that stuck with it. Yahweh's word never returns to him null and void. It's not, it doesn't, Yahweh doesn't make an oopsie. He doesn't do mulligans. When he just sets out to do something, it happens. And even if five people... Ten people, a hundred people from Nineveh were all that stuck to it. That's enough. That's enough. It's a, small, it's a small flock. And the soul of a repentant sinner should be worth more 
and then our desire for exacting judgment on the wicked. Even more so, the soul of a brother who is strayed. So I hope that this expounding on Jonah has been a blessing. It was a blessing for me. I enjoyed putting it together. I really, I have a new appreciation. I didn't realize how abrupt the entire story was. I mean, it's abrupt in the start and it's an abrupt ending. But I have a feeling there's more to Jonah than what we've got. And I think that if you really dig in, there's a lot about forgiveness, tough forgiveness, that's there for all of us. So may Yahweh bless.